0: It's summertime and we here at Covetra's hope you are enjoying some time with friends, family, and of course, your four-legged family members. We invite you to listen to this previously released episode with Matt Saloy, the former chief economist at the American Veterinary Medical Association and current president of Veterinary Management Groups. Be sure to follow the podcast and look for a new episode next month. welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Nicole. Great to be here. Appreciate it.
0: You're a guest. It's fair to say who needs little introduction. Industry folks will know you were most recently the AVMA's chief economist before being tapped ahead VSG, which is a subsidiary of Covetris. As a trained economist, what drew you to the veterinary industry?
1: where do I begin? Because pets and vets are more fun than economists. Um, But, uh, (laughs) you know, like a lot of things, a a little bit of it happened, happened by chance. I I think what I'd share, though, is what kept me in the animal health and, and veterinary side of things was the, the realization that this is an industry and a profession that that shapes our world in a hugely significant way. And, not to get dramatic, but I truly see it as a major threat in the tapestry of, of our of our society, the role of companionship and the impact pets have in our lives. It's it's clear, it's tangible, and goodness, we saw that the last couple of years through the pandemic. But when I think about when I think about the monumental role that veterinary medicine contributes to a healthy food supply through farm animal medicine and and contributions to public health through zoonotic disease management. When you think about it, Veterinary medicine is at the forefront of that, and it's hard not to want to be a part of it.
0: Our industry is at a pivotal moment. Headlines have focused on the demand side, but is demand for veterinary services as overwhelming as some coverage would suggest, in your opinion?
1: It's complicated. But, you know, some things to keep in mind we've been through a roller coaster of economic activity. The last couple of years, there's been a lot of unprecedented volatility in, in our economy and in our ma- markets, uh, which basically saw a huge and unprecedented shock. Um, you know, we look at consumer spending broadly, just including everything, not just veterinary services or pet care, but but everything. You know, typically we see two or three percent year over year growth, and it's pretty consistent over time. You know, COVID fell. COVID came and everything dropped, right? Negative 10% uh, contraction in in spending. And then it swung up pretty wildly as we started to maneuver through recovery. I think if we look at demand, we have to ask ourselves is, where is the dust going to settle exactly? Because we're still working through this process of of what I call and a lot of other economists call normalization. Um, You know, some may see the recent experience the last few months as, Uh, inflation is rising and and spending is paring back as a softening. But you have to go back to last year when we sort of had that slingshot effect of deep dives downward and then this huge thrust forward in spending, of which veterinary care and pet care was a big piece of that. And so there's been a lot of that normalization process that that's happening. But I think what we're working through, and this is really important to keep in mind in terms of where are we going to land here, is uh, you know last year there were a few big major factors that drove a lot of that increase in spending that we saw in our economy, and particularly for veterinary care, one was an increase in household disposable income that was driven in, in large part by economic stimulus that was going to to households, but it also went up because people were spending less on other areas of their budget. They they weren't going out to you know, Aruba for for vacation or or Disney World, right? And so they had that money to spend on on something else. Um, And and in particular, for veterinary care, uh, increased time spent at home as people were shifting to remote work or pulling back on work hours. And that we've all heard that story around spending more time with, with pets and being more attentive to their to their veterinary needs. Uh, and that drove increased spending. And then there was just the pent-up demand for veterinary care that occurred during the the blockages of late 2020, early 2021. So a lot of last year was a catch up and a little bit of a slingshot from those other factors that that I mentioned, uh, which I think you know that's what I call the normalization process. where we've worked through those, we're in the landing zone, um, but we are starting to th- see things stabilize
0: sticking with the demand side you've spoken about an uptick in veterinary visits appointments increased 6.5 percent between january and june of 2021 compared with the same period the previous year and that's according to research you and a co-author cited in the journal of the american veterinary medical association but to your earlier point we're seeing some softening or normalization right now. What are the other factors that explain why practices are facing such difficulties serving clients and demeaning demand for services?
1: Yeah, great question. And again, it's, it's, it's complex. You know I think a lot of the factors that explain some of the, the busyness that we're all feeling, Has been on some of these demand side factors that we talked a little bit about. But there are some other cyclical and, and quite frankly, volatile economic conditions that we're also sorting through on on the supply side. You know, and some have called this the the pinched hose economy to sort of describe what we're experiencing here. And if you can just think back as a kid when you would pinch a hose, right? And then the water builds up and then you let it go. And you see this in cartoons still that the hose goes all around crazy until that <laughs> water has been let out. That's kind of what we're going through. So things feel crazy for a, a real, very real and tangible reason. And one of those areas of our economy that's going through a bit of um, a period of, of volatility amongst other areas is our labor market. I think we've all read an article on, on labor uh, shortages and, and the talent challenges there. And again, not to dismiss the demand, increased demand creates an increased demand for for workers and labor, but it's much more complex than that uh, for a couple of reasons. One, labor force participation is down. So there are are a a big swath of workers who are simply saying, I'm not going to work in this environment. They're not unemployed. They're choosing not to work. And so we have less available workers there. So that really creates you know, a significant issue when you're trying to hire, uh, hire staff. And we also have seen quitting go through the roof, which creates its own challenges, right? If anyone who's listening has been in a position where someone's quit, quit and they have to rehire that person, it's time consuming. It takes a lot of energy to get a job posting out there, interview, land somewhere. And of course, we're doing this now in a the most tight labor market we've seen so that that quitting creates a lot of challenges and when you look at all the the job openings that you see out there you've got to ask yourself how many of those are unique new jobs versus how many of those are replacing somebody who's quit so that's an important issue as well and then another factor in the labor market is turnover turnover particularly in veterinary medicine is 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 rampant some back of the envelope numbers the average turnover for a DVM is about fifteen uh, percent, twice as much as a as a as a doctor working in private practice. And when you look at credentialed veterinary technicians, average turnover looks like thirty percent or more, which is even higher than nurse practitioners, which have some of the most notorious turnover challenges of of all the health professions. And here you have technicians coming in even higher. And so again, to you know emphasize that challenge, if you have a high turnover, in addition to the open roles you might be recruiting for, you're also trying to plug the, the drain of staff leaving your, your practice and having to rehire those positions. So that creates a labor challenge there. And then another issue is, is productivity and can't talk enough about that, that barriers to efficiency and productivity came up during, during the pandemic and, and linger, quite frankly, that are wreaking havoc on, on staff's ability to deliver veterinary care, effectively reducing the number of patients that they're able to see in, in a given hour or a given day. And when that happens, you're going to need more workers in order to keep up with that demand, to say nothing of the increase in, in demand there. And not to forget about well-being, because well-being is wrapped in, in all of this, uh, which is a separate issue and topic in and of itself. But when you have all these challenges, people are burnt out. Um, and when you're burnt out, no one can do their jobs as effectively as they really want to, because they're they're coping with those challenges of feeling feeling burnt out. So- Like I said, it's complicated, but there are a lot of other things going on besides the demand side of the story.
0: I want to tie back to something that you just touched on. You had noted in a recent presentation that 44% of vets said they were thinking of leaving the profession. This was from a 2021 survey, I believe. Are these sentiments and the turnover- um that you that we're all seeing and that you've just discussed is this a pandemic issue or i'm wondering if the pandemic brought existing underlying challenges into stark relief what do you think
1: yeah yes and yes it's definitely a deep seated issue and i think something that was was growing long before The pandemic and what covid did was was tear the wound open even more and 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 made it all worse when we look at the well-being challenges i mean but look so no no rose tinted glasses here we've got our pain points inside and outside veterinary medicine um, that i'm not sure anyone can escape right now Um, a labor shortage that's not going away anytime soon barriers to productivity and efficiency making work harder for everybody uh burnout and declining well-being and then we've got inflation, rising prices, affordability challenges of life and veterinary care, right? Um, disparities that we continue to see and inequalities in our economy across health and wealth that, that COVID made worse. Supply chain challenges, global uncertainty, international conflict, um, and then domestic polarization and discontent, right? So there's a litany of things to feel worried about, right? And some of that preceded COVID. And it's just, you think, goodness gracious, where, where do we even begin with all of that? Um, And it may sound contrived, but I think, you know, our biggest challenges within veterinary medicine represent the biggest opportunities for us, uh, Covetris, veterinary study groups, other organizations and companies dedicated to supporting veterinarians and and veterinary professionals as an opportunity for us to adapt and deliver support to veterinary teams and, and help them support, bring value back to their clients and deliver the best medicine to patients. And as they look around some of these challenges that we all I just kind of talk through and think about how that relates with veterinary medicine, I think there are three overarching themes here uh, that I've pocketed before along workforce workflow and, and well-being issues. And we're, we've touched on some of these here, right? So with workforce and staffing, you know, how do we address the, the staff shortages combined with the high turnover and the workflow efficiency productivity challenges. I mean, there are gaps and barriers to efficiency affecting practice performance. Um, And then well-being. it's the mental health challenges and the issues of of staff burnout. But if you look at these challenges, you can also flip them around, how can we reduce the pain of talent gaps? What can we do as an organization, as a company to support veterinary practices? And and what can we do to save time, increase productivity to make it easier Mm -hmm. To be a veterinarian or a veterinary professional and deliver care, um, and ultimately supporting better team engagement and better well-being with a veterinary practice, um, we have challenges. There is no doubt, and we can't sugarcoat that. I wouldn't even try. But never have I seen a bigger opportunity to make a positive difference and help help reshape veterinary medicine for the better.
0: As you just mentioned, we have a host of challenges, and we have opportunities ahead of us. So let's dig into what you just talked about a little bit more. How can we reduce the pain of talent gaps? How can we save time, increase productivity in the practice? And how can we support better engagement as well?
1: Yeah. And I'd love to spend an hour in each of those pieces. We had the time, right? <laughs> talent gap, productivity, better engagement. And you know, we go through that list of challenges and it's your jaw drops a little bit there. But then I also, not to get too bit of a Pollyanna here, I think what you just mentioned around the opportunity side is I think this is this is the the silver lining and it's and it's bright and it's blinding almost in my eye. Is yes, we have significant challenges and we have so many options and opportunities to do something about them. And we could spend a lot of time talking about each of those areas and, and different strategies for success, but I think in the interest of time. The one major thread here that really excites me is the importance of efficiency and productivity. Leave it to an economist to say that's the most exciting thing here. But And I realize it's not a glamorous topic, but it is at the root of so many things here when we think about it. The point I made to the barriers to efficiency that COVID brought, it made delivering veterinary care a lot harder and a lot more complicated. Some of the different processes and protocols that came up. Uh, by choice and some not by choice, right? So deep cleaning exam rooms between visits to make sure things were sanitized, curbside care, uh, only allowing a certain number of people in an office, a certain number of clients, uh, simple things like just taking payments over the phone, right? Uh, it doesn't seem like it would affect things, but just think about someone giving a credit card number and they get to that ninth digit and they mess it up and then they have to repeat the whole credit card number, right? Something that's a three second transaction just turn into 45 and you multiply that across thousands of patients, it adds up, right? So uh, I wanna be clear though, when, when I talk about inefficiency and declining productivity, this does not mean an average veterinarian or or practice is, is working less quite the contrary. I think we've never worked harder. Veterinary professionals have never worked harder and longer um, here, but what's happened is, and I use this analogy a lot. It's, it's the difference between running a mile on a treadmill versus a running a mile on a beach. And, and before COVID very used to running that mile on the treadmill, you were proficient at it. You could get up there and do it. You almost maybe enjoyed it. Uh, But what COVID did, and it still lingers, is basically took you off the treadmill and onto the beach. And we all know that's going to be a lot harder and you have to exert more effort. But it doesn't stop there because, yes, there was demand. And so you're having to run longer than a mile on the beach. And then you have this pandemic and all this other conflict and issues that we've talked about. And so it's like you're running a mile on a beach and there's a hurricane throwing heavy wind and rain at you, right? So this is the stressful environment that everyone's been put in. And so when I talk about efficiency and productivity and how that's a common red thread is how do we take veterinarians and veterinary professionals off that stormy beach environment and back in the treadmill where they they understand and can run that mile so proficiently. And this is important when we think about well-being because this took a hit, right? And you're having to work harder. Burnout is amplified, um, you've got to work longer hours just to get the same amount of work done. And, and these efficiency and productivity issues, they, they amplify the staffing and workforce issues because, like I said before, suddenly you need more people because the ones you have are not able to meet the demand because of the barriers to efficiency that have been put in front of them. So by focusing on efficiency, we address workflows and how we leverage our staff and leverage technology, so we get a we get a workflow dividend, we get a performance dividend to the practice, but we also we also get a well being dividend because we're able to successfully address burnout and make it easier again to be a veterinarian. And then we have a, 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 a workforce dividend in the sense that we might not need as many people as we think we need because the ones that we do have are now better able and better equipped to do their jobs.
0: Let's stay on a thread that you picked up, technology, you've mentioned before that more reliance on technology means less reliance on labor. And we know in other sectors, um, human health, for example, they've leaned into adopting technology. Is there a disconnect in our field where we don't maybe see that happening as much or quite yet?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a tough question to to answer. I and mean, honestly, I think there are disconnects in every field, not just not just veterinary medicine. I think where where veterinary medicine is is unique is that the typical veterinarian practice owner is increasingly being tasked to deliver it all, uh, provide the best medicine, while also being a business owner that manages all aspects of that business, marketing, communications, client relationships, human resources, talent management, recruiting, financial management, operations, the list goes on and on.
0: They're superheroes. It's incredible. They're
1: superheroes, truly. Um, And and so the disconnect really here, I think, is finding the balance between, and I think every business owner struggles with this, is, is working in your business versus working on your business. And it's less a willingness, I see, to lean into technology and more often than not, a struggle of finding where to even to start. And if you do, you you face intense initiation fatigue. And by that, I just mean the the burnout combined with, I got to do all this, but now you're asking me to try something new. Uh, So there's a learning curve there. Um, do I disrupt my whole practice by implementing a new PIM system where the one I've got, I don't really like it, but it's the devil I know. And so I just can't handle one more thing right now. Even if I know that one thing in six months might get me to a better place, but I just, I can't handle that. And so when you're faced with that high level of burnout, you have this initiation and decision fatigue, um, that, that takes place. I I had this, it's a very contrived example, but I would, I've become into birds and I was looking for a new bird feeder. So you go onto Amazon and all of a sudden you've got, well, you've got hopper feeders and fly through feeders and tube feeders and, and bag feeders. And I just want a bird feeder. It's going to bring birds to my yard. I can't handle this. And so, and to say nothing of when you look at reviews of what others have said, then it just sends you down this rabbit hole of one bad review. I can't deal with that. So I don't know what, I'm just not going to do anything. Right. So when we're faced with that, we fall back to the easy choices, which is I'm not going to upgrade my pim system and that's just just one example. And so you end up sticking with the status quo rather than making choices and decisions to get you you do that to get things out of the way rather than to get ahead. And that's what we need to do is shift that mindset to make decisions to to get ahead there. And it's hard. It's it's really hard to do that.
0: Granted, labor markets are complex. Let's just say that from the outset. In our industry, Is the conversation now focused on how the profession can best address complex workforce challenges? And I guess I'm also curious about why adding more, adding more, like adding more people, why that isn't going to solve the issue.
1: Yes. Uh, So we're definitely more engaged in this conversation as a profession uh, that I think we ever have been. You can't pick up a trade magazine without seeing something. I think addressed to the labor market in, in veterinary medicine. My caution is that, and this is true of any any news, is that it often doesn't go as deep as you you need it to in order to think through those complexities, right? Because there's only so much white space in a in a given uh, piece there, and we just talk through a lot of those complexities, right? And I and I think this this topic of you know adding more veterinarians or just you know veterinary professionals in general building more veterinary schools expanding class sizes mm-hmm.
0: building the pipeline
1: yeah right i mean it's one of those concepts that on the surface when you're confronted with the labor shortage seems very appropriate but when you layer in the context as we have in this conversation it it makes less sense as a solution or at least less sense as a silver bullet solution and i bring it back to this adage that Complicated problems rarely have uncomplicated solutions. Um, the reality is, no doubt, we, we we do need more. We needed more veterinary professionals even before the pandemic. The The biggest question that, the, the, the most frequent question I should say that I would pose practice centers when I got an opportunity to engage with them was what's your biggest challenge? And they would always ans- answer with recruiting, finding the right fit for my practice, right? And that was before COVID-19. And I think we all recognize uh, we, we need more, we need to more effectively leverage our credentialed veterinary technicians, but, but we certainly need more. And we've seen in veterinary practices with a certified practice manager that they perform much better too. So there's a lot of staff that I think can, can support. The, the question is rather, does expanding the supply of, of veterinary professionals address the systemic issues that we've talked about, like productivity, like turnover, like well-being issues, the reality is, is that none of those are going away if you simply expand your your labor force. First, adding more doesn't address the productivity gaps that are at play. Imagine trying to fill a bathtub with the drain open, right? So our, the turnover, the quitting, the, the cycling out, that that's the drain. And if we try to fill that tub by just adding more schools or expanding class sizes, right, you, you can't fill that tub. The drain is going to win, that's what also the inefficiency problem is like, too, with all these barriers to productivity that, that have been put into place. We can add more people, but that, that doesn't address the drain that's happening here. And it doesn't fix the turnover issues we're seeing either. We have to ask ourselves, why are people leaving the practice? You, you mentioned that statistic, the 44% of veterinarians that are thinking of leaving the profession. Now, we know we don't know that they if they are. We know some are. Either way... We have to ask ourselves, why are they thinking of leaving the profession? And the ones that are, why? So throwing more people into a difficult environment uh, doesn't fix the problem here. Uh, We also need solutions that can help today, yesterday. Adding more professionals takes a significant amount of time, especially if you're talking about a a, a DVM, four to five years at at least. And so what what I've said before is, okay, let's create a five-year plan, but we need a right now plan um, now more than ever, to, yes. to move things forward in a, in a, in a helpful way. Um, and then another consideration is the affordability of veterinary care, too. We can't escape that. The largest cost center of any veterinary practice is, is labor, and there's a very good reason for that, because veterinary professionals are highly trained, skilled people. Um, but if we come at this problem by simply trying to expand the number of professionals there, it's going to continue to support higher escalating prices of veterinary care. And so here's where I'll bring it back to efficiency is if we can lean on that as a priority, we can address some of these barriers to productivity, to to the workforce and the and and the well being issues. And we can also hopefully make it more economical to deliver veterinary care in an affordable way uh, for our clients and, and for our patients. So I don't dismiss it like a patient who is bleeding out you 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 need blood but the first priority has to be to stop the bleeding right and so there's no point in adding adding blood when you you haven't stopped the bleeding here and problems of declining productivity rising turnover gaps in career satisfaction and well-being these are these are all like open wounds on our workforce so we've got to address all of this for the long run sustainability of veterinary medicine we've got to close the drain plug the hole and stop the bleeding
0: you've really sketched out the challenges and we understand the potential paths forward. Why, whilst why some are better than others. How do we get started on making transformational change?
1: Oh, great. So this is it's another hour question. long conversation, <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and we are,
1: I think we are talking about that, you know, uh, transforming veterinary medicine and, I think we hear that a lot over the last, you know, six to twelve months around how do we rethink, reshape, reimagine veterinary medicine um, for for the better, uh, and it's not easy, right? If transformation was easy, we 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 would all exercise and and look the way we wanted, right? Or we'd all feel healthy because we could make those easy choices here on, on what what we eat, and those are the simple things, right? We're talking about transforming an entire profession you know a few things that i think are, are guideposts here and leading transformational change and, and one i'll reiterate it because it's guided me complicated problems rarely have uncomplicated solutions um and so the more we realize that i think that opens the doorway for us to really dig into these I- issues and discover the root causes and the systemic factors that that are at play and try to address those um, which leads me to the second one is being upstream in our focus and in our approach to transforming veterinary medicine. Um, and, and by that it's going back to those, those root, those root factors, um, and not addressing the, the symptom, but addressing the, the root causes. Um, upstream is a very familiar approach in other health professions. I think Dan Heath popularized it in his book that came out a couple of years or so ago. Um, but the concept is, is very simple and it's, it, it's best explained in a really uh, dark analogy of imagine yourself with a friend having a picnic um, by a river and suddenly you see a kid floating by drowning. So one of you jumps in and saves the child and then another kid comes floating by drowning and your friend jumps in and saves that child. And then more children keep coming by um, and you're, you're frantic trying to save these children in, in the in the river. And then suddenly your friend gets out and starts heading upstream and you think, why have you left me? You yell back, I can't do this by myself. What are you doing? And your friend yells out, I'm going upstream to stop the person who's throwing these kids in the river, right? So this is not my example. This is Dan Heat's example. You can blame him for the darkness of that. But it's a really, I think, uh, poignant and stark um, analogy of what going upstream looks like. So if you're in a call center and you're faced with and numerous call after call of customer complaints and you just can't get to them all. Well, the upstream approach says, how do you make that customer complaint unnecessary in the first place? Right. Um, and so going upstream, it's, it's critically important to leading transformational change. And then lastly, I'd end it with Professor John Cotter, Harvest Business School academic. He, he wrote a book a number of years ago around, around leading change. And he really smartly and wisely pocketed transformational change into a number of steps. And so there's a, there is a stepwise approach here. There is a process to it, right? Like everything else. And the first thing you do is you, you establish a sense of urgency and, and you create um, a coalition of support around that that sense of urgency. So, I, And I think we're there. We're past that point in veterinary medicine where we've talked about these issues of workforce, workflow, and well-being. And there is such a sense of urgency and there's such a a coalition of support to make positive change there. Uh, and then the next thing you do is you you develop a vision and a strategy um, to to move forward in, in an effective way. And you've got to communicate that that vision uh, across other areas of the profession in, in the industry or even in your own practice around this is the sense of urgency. Create the support around that. And then you communicate across your practice around the changes that you want to make and the strategy for making those changes happen. And then the next step here is going into action and generating short-term wins. Don't, never try to, you know, eat the whole pie in one bite. You you, you take it off bite by bite, um, and those short-term wins help create a cascading snowball effect. And and I think reinform that sense of urgency and that sense of support because you're seeing success happen real time. Um, and then the last thing you do is you you anchor in a culture of new approaches and continuous improvement and you do that in your practice you can do that in in a whole profession Uh, but like anything there's a process to it and so there's a number of tools and resources to go to 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 guide business leaders and others on leading change in their practices or in their companies
0: this has been such a fascinating conversation matt thank you so much for coming on covetra's connected care
1: i really appreciate the opportunity great to talk with you nicole